0: Bibles, please, for our first reading in the New Testament to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Unto the Church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. And patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were, among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia. But also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. In the letter that you have before you, most scholars believe that this was the first letter that Paul wrote temporally in his writing career. So this would be somewhere early on, 52 or 53 AD. It is during the second missionary journey when the Thessalonian church was founded. The first missionary journey comes to an end. Paul and uh, Barnabas go their separate ways. Barnabas goes south and, and west across the, uh, the divide to, the, to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas with him, which is Sylvanus, and Timotheus, Timothy. He uses their Latinized names there. And away they go back through. Uh, Iconium Lystra Derby, through Asia Minor and then they are called by a special word of the spirit of God to Macedonia you'll remember the vision the man of Macedonia saying come over here and help us they end up then in uh, a little bit later on in chapter 16 in Philippi and we have Lydia and the Philippian jailer there and then after that they proceed to Thessalonica in the first part of Acts chapter 17. And from there they travel south to Berea and then to Corinth. So here we are on the second missionary journey and we believe that Paul was at Corinth when he wrote these letters to the Thessalonians and that first and second Thessalonians follow on very closely one behind another and they're uh, Paul's first two letters in his writing career in the New Testament as an apostle. Okay, so 5253 AD, Paul is the author, the recipients are the church in Thessalonica, and let's remember to set the stage historically just for a moment. Very often we remember what is said about the Bereans. These Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures to see if those things were true. Everybody remembers that. We all want to be good Bereans. Okay, But let's remember that Luke is speaking very modestly when he says that. Because Paul was run out of Thessalonia by persecution. When he says that the, that the ones in Berea, that the Jews that met in the synagogue in, in, in Berea were more noble, yeah, they didn't run him out of town threatening to kill him. That's really what's meant there. So that's a very modest statement on, on the part of Dr. Luke. The other thing that I'd like to... Uh, Make known here is that this is typical of Paul to enter into a city and preach at the synagogue. The synagogue was a viable, visible church of that day, and any synagogue that said, Jesus is our Lord too, they would have become the church in that city. That didn't happen in Thessalonica, and we're not told, but it may have happened in Berea. We never hear about the persecution in Berea driving the Christians out of the synagogue. So it may have happened. Can't be dogmatic. But that would have been the procedure. Paul begins in the visible church, preaches the gospel there as a rabbi and a minister, an apostle of Christ. And that's how he's allowed to speak in the synagogues. And then, uh, if they believed, well, they would have had some, uh, uh, some transition, if you will, and, and been received into the Christian church and have left the religion of the Jews somehow formally probably through baptism okay so that's what's being said what's the what's the book about there are several things that we see you might imagine that during the days of the Thessalonian church that there was much persecution there certainly was so that is addressed the persecuted people of God are addressed the way they received the word of God is said to be very commendable you received it not as the word of man in, in in the next chapter but as it is in truth the very word of God. So they're commended in the way that they received the word of God. And then we also hear Paul comforting them in all their persecution by lifting up their eyes to Christ and to wait for him who is coming again. That's what chapters 4 and 5 are about. Chapter 4 especially toward the latter end of that chapter. So the way I, I I think the easiest way to remember Thessalonians is p c p c right p c p c prophecy and comfort for persecuted Christians. okay all right well let's let's dive in then to verse one. So we have uh, an apostolic greeting, grace unto you and peace. We find out that it's Paul and Silas and Timothy, all three of them. And that was uh, that was common, right? We, we introduced Timothy into the apostolic narrative in chapter 16 of the book of Acts before Paul ever would have arrived at Thessalonica or even Philippi. And so Timothy is their traveling companion. And, and we hear of that beginning in Acts chapter 16. Um, so it is a standard greeting. Um, but notice what he says about the, the Thessalonians. They are... In God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so according to the apostolic judgment here, there has been a a, a true reckoning with you know among the Thessalonian professors. Uh, <coughs> excuse me of of their faith in Jesus Christ, such that we we speak of that being united to God the Father and God the Son by faith. Um. Then we then we move on to verse two, and once again we have Paul giving thanks for them. Um, I don't think this is simply a, a matter of protocol with the apostle. I think he really does give thanks. I think when when Paul beholds Christians uh, keeping one foot in front of the other and marching on toward Christ in the face of persecution, that like any of us would be, Paul is encouraged with that as well and give th- gives thanks to God for them. Right? So um, it is a discouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ if because of affliction or difficulty we express you know, some kind of drawing back. So it would be an encouragement one to another in Christ that in the face of the same difficulty we press ahead. And Paul gives thanks for them for that. Um, So then, let's see, oh yeah, Uh, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, work of faith, well we talked about that earlier, we don't need to belabor it here, but faith, saving faith is a working faith, like we said, Uh, your labor of love, notice that it is not, uh, that it doesn't rise up out of any kind of heart except that of great affection toward God, and then there Patience of hope. And of course, this would be very important for a persecuted church to have that patience of hope. And then note that that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father. And then he says something that has been controverted in our day. Knowing, let's see, what does he say? Yeah, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Hmm. What does he mean by that? There are some who would tell us that every visible church member is the elect of God. We don't believe that, do we? That's certainly not what the Bible teaches. Um, <clears throat> how, would the, how would the apostle write then to the Thessalonians uh, saying, knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God? What does he mean? Well, there are several possibilities. The first possibility is that he's speaking by way of special revelation, and he has some secret knowledge from God that every Thessalonian church member is elect. I don't think that's what's being spoken of here. It might be also that he speaks about the, the 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 Thessalonians as the Bible often speaks in the Old Testament, speaking of Israel as the elect. Were all Israelites elect? Well, no, obviously not. But were they the elect nation, the chosen nation? through which the gospel came to the world in that day. Yes. In other words, the visible church is in some sense the elect of God in that God has chosen that through the foolishness of preaching, the gospel would come, and that preaching takes place in the context of the visible church. And then the third possibility, is that Paul is speaking with the judgment of charity, that those Thessalonians being persecuted, yet pertaining, or sorry, yet persisting in their faith, although it is a difficult faith, he gives them that judgment of charity and says to them, knowing your election of God. In other words, that this is a fruit of true faith, and true faith belongs to the elect. I think I would settle on the latter of those three myself, that he's using that judgment of charity, seeing that, they're, that they are continuing forward even in the face of persecution. And so that is a, an indication, if you will, perhaps not an infallible indication, but an indication nonetheless that they are a part of God's chosen. Okay, But notice also one thing we cannot deny from this passage and that there is, that there is such a thing as the election of God. The doctrine of election is certainly taught in this verse, no matter how we tend to un- unpack it or unfold it or understand it. Okay, so now in verse 5, notice we have a 4. And that for there helps us to understand why Paul would say what he said about the Thessalonians. Our gospel came unto you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And what manner of men were they among the Thessalonians? Well, it's a very interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Because they preached in the face of great persecution. They, they could have lost their lives at any moment. Paul will write about this later to the, to the Corinthians, right, when he says that we have the sentence of death in ourselves daily, or I die daily is the other way he will put that. That's not a, a Keswickian, you know, you have to die daily spiritually and give up and let go and let God and all of that. No, Paul says, I die daily. That is, every day when I get up, I don't know if when I lay down that day, I'm going to lay down in a bed or in a grave. That's what it means to die daily says so what manner of men were we we were those who persevered in the face of persecution you are that same kind of people and so this is how we reason then to your election and that's what he's saying there in verse five <clears throat> then and ye became followers of us verse six this is the biblical pattern you are to follow those who preach the word of god to you you are to make sure that they are this manner of men; that is, ones who you will follow. And of course, in the Presbyterian Church, as we've said before, remember this is why people vote with regard to their officers, right? That they are the that they are the kind of men whose faith they will follow, as it says in um, Hebrews thirteen verses seven and seventeen. Right? There's a there's a particular amount of convinced convincedness if you will or persuasion and that is why we put our hand forward and say yes these men we can follow them so there was much affliction at the hand of the Jews in the days of, of Paul in Thessalonica and here it was no exception they, um, uh, Paul was run out of town by the Jews of that city but notice also it says that this affliction is accompanied with the joy of the Holy Ghost Mm. You know, it, sometimes we're afflicted uh, even with, re, with, with regard to our faith. You know, we'll be persecuted, we'll be marginalized, patronized. We don't get the job. We don't get the promotion because we won't work on the Sabbath day or, or whatever that thing is, right? And, and so, well, okay, you know, it's all right. I'll be okay. I'll be fine. Well, no, that's not what Paul says here. Paul says it's with the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's like those apostles that we read about that have been kicked out of the Sanhedrin after being beaten and they rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were able to suffer for the name of Christ. It's that kind of rejoicing that we're talking about here. To be so identified with Christ and to be uh, so very concerned about His name rather than our own, denying ourselves, We rejoice when we suffer persecution. Our Lord Jesus Christ taught us that at the end of the Beatitudes, didn't he? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and speak evil of you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. What will he say? Rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Okay, so that's what Paul is speaking about there at the end of Uh, verse 6. But then notice also that the witness that the Apostle Paul uh, and the others that were with him, probably Silas and Timothy, had to the Thessalonian church now the Thessalonians have taken that up and they have become witnesses to all the churches in Macedonia, Achaia and beyond wherever their faith is sounded out. And so we note that even before the days of the internet that there were all kinds of of communications that were going on and those communications were held rightly in that they became an encouragement to others who were also being persecuted across the ancient world. So let's use those communications wisely. More on speech in the afternoon sermon. Okay, so now we come to uh, verse 9, the end of the chapter really. And they themselves show of us uh, what manner of entering we had into you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is that true kind of repentance that we speak of, right? Some, uh, some theologians or pastors have turned to this passage here, 1 Thessalonians 1, nine, and said, this is what conversion to Christ looks like. You turn to God from idols. Well, it's shorthand, but it's a good shorthand, isn't it? It speaks of many other implications, right, and practical things that we might remember what it means to turn to God from idols. We were encouraged earlier today, weren't we, from Ezekiel chapter 14, to turn away from the idols of our hearts. It's the same kind of thing. That repentance work, that turning work, is never done in this life. There are those who would say that, you know, there's this repentance that takes place and you never have to repent again. That's not the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible tells us that this work of repentance, of turning to God from idols, is something that we will do our whole lives long. And then finally, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And notice that because his work is finished, that deliverance is finished. We are delivered from the wrath to come. End of story, period. We're not looking to be delivered. We are delivered from the wrath to come. And beloved, let's remember that being delivered from the wrath to come does not mean that we are also delivered from every earthly affliction. He's writing to an afflicted and persecuted church that has been delivered from the wrath to come. Right? Okay. Thus ends the reading then of First Thessalonians chapter (laughs) one.